Second chapter of St. John, John writes, On the third day there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee. And when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. This is our text. Grace, mercy, and peace be yours from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, dear friends in our Lord Jesus. Of wine, the British poet Lord Byron once wrote this, It cheers the sad, revives the old, inspires the young, makes weariness forget its toil, and fear her danger. Perhaps for those reasons, certainly for many others, wine has been, for millennia, the drink of celebration. In the Old Testament, wine's even used as the picture of joy. The psalmist himself says that it's been given to gladden the heart of man. Now it's true that in antiquity, because, of, because uncontaminated water was in rare supply and was hard to find and was not so predictable, wine was more than just a drink of celebration. It was used daily, it was used often, but there's no doubt that from time immemorial, it's wine that has filled cups and goblets that have been raised up in joy. In fact, so standard was wine for such occasions that the Hebrew word for banquet and for feasts, mashatha, it means drinking. And so it's no surprise that that's exactly what we see today at this wedding that we attend. A wedding that we attend through the text, this wedding in Galilee, in the town of the village of Cana. Now there's nothing that would indicate to us that this wedding banquet was anything but typical. Typical, happy people celebrating a happy occasion, a, a beaming bride, her groom, in-law sharing a drink to toast the union of these two, these two now joined together, but these two that have been and still are yet so much a very part, much a part of them. Uncles there and cousins, no doubt, longtime friends, typical. And the wedding's typical also in that as all Jewish weddings of antiquity, this particular wedding banquet would have lasted a week's time. We thought modern wedding receptions could be involved. A week's time this one was to last. The whole town was invited to the thing and it was up to the groom's family to furnish the food and and, and the drink of the feast for all who would attend. That's where things get atypical here. The wines run out. The wines run out, not only a social faux pas, but even some suggest a legal one. For some scholars believe that it was acceptable at the time for the bride's family actually to bring legal suit against the groom and his family when things like these, these things ran out. It's not the way to begin your happily ever after, but the wine ran out. And right along with it, so too did the happiness and the joy run out with the wine. Don't our lives often mirror the events of this day? Sometimes doesn't the wine, as it were, stop flowing? Sometimes doesn't the joy run out and run dry? Sometimes in things perhaps trivial, but certainly so often in things not so trivial, it may well have run dry because of that something that you said and it was wrong what you said not thoughtful at all and it hurt and it may be because of that 
It may be because of it that now dinner glasses are raised to the lips and lowered in silence because no one's talking, because of the offense given. Maybe the joy of life stopped flowing because the sins of another. Poor choices made. And yet, though not regretted and repented of, but but stubbornly insisted upon poor choices. Choices that deeply and for a long time drain and have drained family peace and happiness. Maybe it's because of the general condition of sin that affects and infects every man, every woman, every infant child in all the world. It may be because of this general condition of sin, perhaps in these days at family gatherings, you raise a bittersweet glass in memory of one whom disease or war or catastrophe like that of Haiti Death has taken away from your company. The wine stops flowing sometimes. It's not Jesus' fault that it does. It may have been yours, something that you did or left undone, maybe me too. As it well may have been the fault of the wedding wine planner himself at Cana or the groom's family. It may be the fault of another. As perhaps at Cana, more came to the, to the wedding than were invited or expected to come. It may be something out of your hands like that. Maybe it was because in a fallen world these things just happen. And joy will sour. It's not his fault that it does, though. But don't think for a second. Don't think for a minute that, that he doesn't use these shortfallings, even permit them at times. And allow them at times. Don't you think he knew how much wine there was at Cana? Don't think for a minute that that he doesn't at times permit and allow these things in order that he might manifest in them and demonstrate through them his glory, his grace, his kindness. Because that's precisely what Jesus did at Cana's wedding feast. Their need was as real as any need of yours might be, just as real. It may not seem as real to you. It may seem trivial, perhaps, to you. It certainly wasn't to them, though. In their hour of need, in their hour of weakness, God, through it, shows his power. And John tells us, you can, kind of, you can picture it in, the, in our, our Cana window there, the Epiphany window. It helps us picture it. John tells us, that Jesus instructed the table waiters to, to fill up with water the six stone jars used for ceremonial cleansing. Jesus said, fill them up with water. Water. Jesus, they weren't short of water. And then he said, go and bear it to the master of the feast. Now can't you imagine? Can't you imagine the table waiters smiling? at each other when Jesus told them to fill up the jars with water? Don't you think they cracked their jokes in private amongst themselves at this upstart rabbi who appeared to be needing a bit more help himself than what he was able to provide? Sure, they smiled. Sure, they would have cracked their jokes. But then, as one has so elegantly put it, then at Jesus' word and at his bidding, that's to say, then the modest water saw its God and blushed. Water became wine. 
Water became wine, and the wine of celebration flowed again. Do you see the good that Jesus made out of the bad? He used the occasion to demonstrate his glory. His glory, the text says, not borrowed glory. His glory. John said this miracle at Cana was the first of Jesus' signs. Now, something interesting to note about signs. Signs aren't just miracles. Signs aren't just amazing things. They're not just wonders that are done. Signs point to to the more important thing that stands behind them. And at Cana, Jesus epiphanied himself. And for us here in this hour, in Cupertino's hour, that's most important of all because it reminds us that it, it wasn't for Cana's hour that Christ had come. The hour for which he'd come, he even points us to that hour in the text today. Lest our minds drift too far, he says, my hour to his mother, he said, my hour has not yet come. For that hour he came. He reminds us it wasn't for Cana's hour he'd come, that hour for which he'd came, for which he'd, he'd come, Calvary's hour. That hour had yet to come. The purpose of God's coming in the flesh, you see, isn't ultimately doesn't find its fulfillment in filled wedding cups at a banquet. The ultimate ultimate purpose of God's coming in the flesh doesn't find its, its, its fulfillment in filled bellies, filled stomachs by a miraculous catch of fish or, or miraculous multiplication of bread on a hillside. It, it wasn't to be known as history's finest physician and cosmetic surgeon that Jesus came. Jesus Christ came most importantly and expressly, though he did many other things, but he came expressly to drink the bitter cup that had your name and mine written all over it, the cup that waited for him. And you see with this sign today at Cana, Jesus' first miracle here reported to us, this sign already begins to to indicate to us that there was, was no other way. That you and I in time could, could drink, take up and drink heaven's cup of feasts unless God himself in the flesh drank the swill of our sin. In fact, didn't Jesus himself, didn't the Son of God even, even ask this of his Father? He said, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. But it didn't. So it wasn't possible. There was no other way. If there had been, there would have been no need for Cana. Because there would have been no need for Christmas. There certainly would have been no need for Calvary's cross or Easter's empty tomb. In fact, and I want you to think on this for a moment. If there had been another way, what an utter and awful waste of a life. It would have been for God to take on human flesh and then to suffer hell on the cross for you and for me once for all people of all time if there had been some other way. If he simply could have told us how to do it. If all the Son of God came to do was to tell us what to do then he certainly could have stayed home and sent a memo. But he didn't. Because he couldn't. He had this cup to drink. 
He did for us what you know well we haven't done, we couldn't do for ourselves. He lived perfectly to the last drop, filling full, or you could say fulfilling, all the law of stone requires. He did, and he did it for you. So don't try to scrub yourself clean by the the, the washing, ceremonial or otherwise, in your life of trying to earn his favor. Don't do so. He doesn't want you to. He's filled those jars to the brim already. He didn't pour himself out so that that you would go and do that. And I use that language explicitly because it's scriptural language, pouring himself out. It's biblical language. The Lord, in fact, Isaiah says it that way. The Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all because it pleased the Lord to crush him, mind you, and, and not you, to crush him and make his soul an offering for sin. And he says he poured out his soul unto death and made intercession for the transgressions of all. Even when the day's wine, as it were, has run out, no matter whose fault, even when the wine has run out, when its celebration has run dry, the simple fact that God's Son, Christ Jesus, has poured himself out for you so that one day you can raise heaven's cup with him is enough to make all of our days still, still run red with joy. Knowing it was enough for him, St. Paul, no matter the day's occasion, no matter the day's condition, St. Paul was unable to say rejoice in the Lord, always. And again, I say rejoice. He was forgiven by his Lord, and he knew it. And it enabled him to break the silence born of hurtful words and forgive others as he'd been forgiven. He was loved by his Lord well before Paul loved Christ. You know that story and how it goes. Well before Paul loved Christ, Christ loved Paul and Paul knew it. And so he was enabled to love beyond the callousness of others. Paul was assured by his Lord's work that one day despite what he'd been, despite what he'd done, You know that story. He was assured by his Lord's work that he too, despite it all, would raise heaven's cup. And so he was enabled to face the the, the trivial and not so trivial hours of life and even of death. With a confidence and a courage that never need run dry for its source wasn't in Paul. It's not in you, it was in Christ. And will he not restore to you in time that which is far better? That which he's saving until then. And as you consider today this feast at Cana, this wedding at Cana, and the trivial and perhaps the not so trivial troubles of its day, let it be a reminder to you too. That if your Lord Jesus was willing to drink the cup for you that he drank in order to earn heaven for you, Don't you think he's more than glad to fill as he knows best the cups and the jars of your life as well? And so as his mother did, you too certainly can pray to him. Even the simplest prayer. Lord, they have no wine. Lord, they have no wine. Or Lord, as you say, as you collapse into your chair or onto your bed at the end of the day, Lord... I have no more strength. 
I have no more time. Lord, I, I have no more patience. Lord, I think I could use a better day today than I had yesterday. Lord, I think the man standing in front of me in the grocery line could use a better day today. What request is too small? Friends, if he's mindful of a sparrow falling from the air, if he's mindful of the trivial or not so trivial current count of hairs upon your head, don't you think he's just as concerned that the wine has run out or your time has run out or your strength and patience has run dry or your income And while our prayers so often, with our prayers, we fix our minds on on the daily winds of life running out, as it were, good thing for us that he remembers those things that are far higher, that are eternal. Good thing for us that the same Christ who came to Cana and caused hearts there to believe in him comes today here to Cupertino to do the same thing. He still changes water by his word and pours out his favor over all of those who pass by the font. Enabling them to believe. He still works wonders with wine. You'll witness it this morning. Still working wonders with wine underneath the sacramental fruit of the vine, bringing the very best, heaven's vintage, his blood. And also his body to your lips to forgive you of all that you've been. And all that you've done. And to assure you that this is only a foretaste of what he's saving for you. Knowing that as you approach it today. As you approach his altar modestly. No doubt that even like Cana's water. You too seeing here your God would blush knowing what he's come to do skeptics are going to smile they'll crack their jokes so be it that didn't stop Christ at Cana won't stop him here didn't stop the wine there it won't stop what he brings here I began this morning with remarks from the British poet Lord Byron about wine. But I wonder if perhaps they better apply to Christ, who is more than we can see, who's done more for us than we can know, who will do more for us than we ever could ask. I wonder if Byron's words better apply to Christ. For he cheers the sad. He revives the old and inspires the young, makes weariness forget its toil and even fear or danger for because you see even when the wine of life would run out the grace upon grace that Christ brings never will in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit amen